Well, good morning, Hillcrest Covenant Church, our online gathering of friends and uh, guests, and I'm delighted that you're with us this morning. We had a great wor uh, worship up until this point. We've heard uh, about all of the wonderful ways the church is involved uh, in our community. We've actually also heard how God has blessed us, and we've been able to bless others, and we want to bless you if you find yourself in a place of need. But before I uh, get into my sermon, I, I, I have this, this um, intuition that some of you, when you heard my story last week about uh, meeting my young uh, bride-to-be on a park bench in... Uh, in Switzerland that you didn't believe me. So I want you to see a slide. I was rooting around online in my cloud uh, photos and you will see a slide of me and Roxy there in the middle and my best friend Carl. And that is the bench that I described last week in Interlock in Switzerland. So uh, there you got it. It's, it's a true story. Anyway, uh, I thought some of you would get a kick out of that. Um, in, in addition, we, we started a new series of uh, sermons this last week called Summer in the Psalms, and we invited you last week to participate in something we're calling the Psalm of the Day, and we had 44 people sign up almost immediately. And we want to uh, extend that invitation to you again. If you would like to receive a Psalm of the Day, um, there's no commentary, there's no additional uh, devotional to read, it's just a psalm, and there'll be a couple questions at the end of the psalm to kind of help uh, you frame your thoughts, your reflections around the psalm, then uh, please uh, uh, go to our website. I think there's a link on the website where you can actually fill in your name and you will receive automatically a psalm of the day. And we're just doing it for five days a week so you get the weekend off. So it's actually uh, uh, five out of seven psalms uh, a day. Anyway. Well, as some of you know, I, um, I enjoy backpacking. I may have referred to this at some point. If not, uh, if this is new to you, it's true. Um, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where we have a, a couple mountains out there and I've uh, backpacked in Glacier National Park in Montana, Yosemite down in uh, California, and some other places. But uh, I enjoy backpacking, not because I like going days without showering. That's what my wife thinks, but it's actually not true. I don't really uh, enjoy that part of it. I, 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 I don't enjoy backpacking because I like carrying 50 pounds on my back for long periods of time. That's, that's you know, the older I get, the harder that becomes. I enjoy backpacking because it enables me to get to places in this world that most people never see with their, with their own eyes. And that to me is just absolutely amazing to think I can hike, you know, 25 miles into some wilderness area and know that there's only been, you know, maybe 1,000 people who've ever stood in that place looking at that vantage point, whatever it might be. And, and more importantly than that, I, I like to backpack in the wilderness because it reminds me of my relative sort of importance compared to the vast and beautiful creation that is all around us. Every time I, I, I stand out in the wilderness someplace and just see the grandeur and, and the vastness of God's creation, it, it, it humbles me. It, it makes me take a breath and think, wow, this, what, what kind of God do I have? Sitting on a, on a rock beside a mountain stream as, as the sun comes up over the ridge, stopping to take a panoramic view of the mountains that appear to go as far as the eye can see, 
falling asleep to the sound of crickets and, and other animals who come out at night. And I, and I just hope that my tent is, is uh, shut tight so they don't come into my tent. These are some of the reasons why I enjoy being in God's creation. Being in creation reminds me that, that my concerns in life are, are small compared to God's larger creation. Yet, every time I find myself in creation, I'm reminded of a God who is both responsible for the whole creation and at the same time cares for me at the most mundane and intimate uh, levels of my life. Psalm 8, which is the psalm we're going to be looking at today, is a psalm uh, of creation. And it speaks directly to God's presence in creation and to the place that we as humans occupy within that larger creation that God is, is at work create, creating and recreating. And so for the next couple of minutes, I would like for us to direct our attention to Psalm 8 in particular and three movements, as I call them, that I observe in this psalm. The first movement is that creation, when we find ourselves in creation, when we stop long enough to just look around us, creation prompts us to worship God. The second movement I see in this Psalm 8 is that humans play an important role in the, in the drama of God's creation. We, we are not the creators, but we have a responsibility that God gives to us as being part of God's created order to be stewards of that creation. And then finally, the last movement is we are given the responsibility to care for that creation in any way that we can. So uh, creation prompts us to worship the God of creation. That's my first point. This psalm begins with this astonishing exclamation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is an affirmation, really, by the psalmist of God's place in creation. This reinforces, I think, the psalmist's understanding of, of the relationship between God and the psalmist as he's, as he's recognizing his, his place in, in the grand creation. The psalmist is, is not just making some sort of random exclamation about any God, but, but the psalmist is acknowledging that this God, his God, is the creator of everything that he sees around him. Psalm 8 is not pointing to creation merely as the evidence of God, like, like some sort of pantheistic view of God in a, in a flower or in the bark of a tree. It's not about that. According to one Old Testament scholar, he says this, the majesty to be seen is that of the name of the Lord. The content of the name is the words and the works of the one whose identity and will are expressed through creation. We don't worship creation, we worship the God of creation. When we encounter the presence of God in creation, we are, are prompted to worship the God of creation and not creation itself. As tempting as that may be sometimes, and, and sometimes I know, you, 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 you look at creation and you go, wow. But that's not the point. The point is that, that God is responsible for that creation and that's who we worship. For the psalmist, God's glory is evident in the heavens. God's glory is revealed in the highest and, and most inexhaustible places that the psalmist can even conceive of. And it's at the same time God's glory is revealed in the, in, in the cry of a newborn infant. So it goes from big to small. 
And God's glory is revealed everywhere in between those two places. Most of us who've, uh, who've been present at the birth of our children understand what the psalmist is really talking about here when he sees the intricacy of God's creation and the small, complex things. When my daughter was born a long time ago now, I remember uh, being able to hold her for the very first time, and I, she, was, she wasn't much larger than, than, than my two hands held together like this. And I had no idea at the time that I would be witness to the most incredible act of God's creation in my life, and I got to participate in that somehow. And I remember then, and as I think about it now, telling this story again, I fought back tears as I held my daughter in my arms for the very first time, contemplating the remarkable intricacy of God's creation right there in my arms. The witness to God's glory encompasses both what is high above the heavens, beyond our ability to conceive, and the witness to God's glory is in the simple cry of a newborn child. And this, this is the reason that we praise God. This is why, this is why we worship, according to the psalmist. Well, the focus of the psalm shifts at verse four from the, from the grandeur of God's creation to humans as a particular expression of God's creation. And, and in light of the glory of God revealed in creation, the psalmist asks God, who are humans that you are mindful of them? What right do we have to be cared for alongside the care that, God, you exhibit to the rest of your creation? I mean, how, how do we rate, God? That's, in effect, what the psalmist is saying. What's the deal? Why us? The psalmist is experiencing, I believe, the same emotions that I feel every time that I look at a sunset or, or I sit in my backyard after a summer storm. After seeing the evidence of God's creation all around me, how is it possible that God cares for me? How is it possible that God cares for us? How is it that God can keep track of, of the rhythm of creation in its largeness and at the same time care about my unique set of issues? Why me? This is an important question because it's difficult to be prideful about how important we are when we see ourselves in the light of sort of the larger context of God's creation, right? I mean, how, how do you become arrogant about how great you are when you go outside at night and you look at a Kansas sky and you see stars as far as the eye can see? And if you happen to live in a place where you can see a great distance, it's just the, the breadth of it all. How can you be arrogant about who you are in the midst of that? Creation has a way <laughs> of making us humble. There is no arrogance expressed by the person who recognizes the grandeur of God in creation and then says, and to think God, the creator of all this, also cares for me. Have you thought about that? There's no issue that you are facing right now that is too small for God to care about. You see, sometimes I think that when we lose sight of our, of our place in creation, we either, we either neglect creation, we're too busy doing our busy work, whatever that may be, or we unwittingly uh, destroy it 
in, in some sense, as if creation was ours to do with whatever we want. When the psalmist speaks about the human's place in God's creation, he's reflecting upon this reality that we are both small and at the same time we are complex organisms that God cares about at the most intimate detail. I have a friend who's a a retinal surgeon, and I remember her telling me one time that as much as she knows about the human eye, as much as she knows because of all of her years of medical training and specializing in, in, uh, in eyes and then in the, in the back of the eye, that she, um, she is still learning about the intricacies of God's creation even after all these years. She has no, she has no question about the fact that God uh, has been involved in this creation because even she, as the most knowledgeable physician in this very intricate specialty um, doesn't know everything that there is to know. Even though we as humans share responsibility for God's creation, the recognition that God is entrusting us somehow in the midst of that to care for this creation should in some way drive us to our knees in humility because of the intricacy and importance that this role has. God didn't just set creation uh, to, to operate, and then it operates without somebody to take care of it. God has given us the responsibility to be stewards of this place. For the psalmist, humans, you and I, we are, we are just another example of God's glory and creation that inspires worship and praise. And then finally, um, we have this third movement in the psalm that I've already alluded to a little bit. We are responsible for the care of God's creation. You see, we are objects of God's creation. We we have been created by God, but at the same time, we are expressions of God's wonder as well. And I've already uh, talked a little bit about that when I talked about seeing my daughter for the first time after she was born. The psalmist puts it like this. He says, you have made them a little lower than God You have crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You see, the psalmist is describing our place in the order of this creation. You have made them, that is human beings, a little lower than God, and you've crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion. You've given them responsibility. You have entitled them to be stewards over the works of your hands, O God. You have put all things under their feet. What the the psalmist is doing here is he's defining our human relationship with our place in creation. Humans are responsible. We are responsible for the care and keeping of this good creation. We are the stewards of God's creation on behalf of our creator. I know that uh, during this COVID time, I recognize that there's sort of an innate character that we have for caring for God's creation because as I, as I ro- drive around the neighborhood and walk or ride my bike with my wife, I notice all these beautiful gardens in many of the yards of the homes in the neighborhood. 
And I think that the reason why we do that is because at a very innate level, we understand that we are, we are stewards of this beautiful creation that God has given us. And even in the small act of weeding a garden bed and planting some flowers, I think we are fulfilling this part of Psalm 8. The word that we often use to describe this responsibility for God's creation is the word stewardship. It's a, it's, it's, it's a religious word. That, well, you hear it most often is a religious word. In fact, Kirk, uh, I think, spoke, I don't know if he used that word earlier, but in effect, we are stewards by, the, by our acts of generosity as well. But the psalmist is describing this stewardship of creation by pointing out our care for, for domesticated animals and for wild animals and for the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And just for good measure, the psalmist adds, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. In other words, I don't know what they are. I've never been there. But if there's any animal that extends beyond what my own knowledge can approach, then we have responsibility for that as well. The problem is, that this idea of dominion, of stewardship, is less sometimes about stewardship uh, taking care of, and it's more about domination. You know what I'm talking about? The, the rule has become ruin, the, uh, and subordination to God's purposes have become subject, uh, subjection to human sinfulness when we don't care for creation. The problem is, care for creation is no longer defined by under our understanding that God is the creator and we are the stewards, but that somehow we, uh, we control and we can demand creation to do and become whatever we want it to. And, and that is nothing but arrogance on our part. Our understanding of care for creation is no longer defined by our recognition of our place as stewards of God's creation. All, all the psalmist is trying to say in this psalm is that we have a role of stewarding this beautiful creation that God has been involved in. We are co-creators, if you will, of God's creation. Now, it may have occurred to you at this uh, point in my uh, reflections with you today that uh, all this talk about being created in the image of God, both creation and humanity, we, we, we can be significantly distorted at times. Uh, you may have noticed that God's creation has, has not always looked as beautiful as it was intended. There, there's, a, there's a brokenness in creation. There's a brokenness in us. And this, this brokenness that began at creation in the garden has, has followed us to this very moment in time. And, and if we're honest with each other for a second, we, we, can, we can even reveal the brokenness that we know that, that we carry very close to our, to our chests. The image that we bear has been tarnished, it's been twisted, and it's almost unrecognizable. And is it any wonder when you think about that, that when the world looks at this brokenness in us, they would question God's presence in the world. But here is the good news that I want you to hear from me today. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the twisted character of our creation, however that may uh, look, God offers us a solution for our brokenness in Jesus Christ. God does not leave us to sit in our brokenness. 
God offers us a solution in Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we are encouraged to look beyond our brokenness to the image of God in us, no matter how faint that image may have become over the years. In Jesus Christ, God has not left us to fix our own brokenness with band-aids and bubble gum. But rather, God has given us a Savior who has come into our broken world to bring about the restoration of all creation, including every one of our hearts. And in so doing, our brokenness, our sin, it becomes the means by which God is fulfilling God's purposes in the world. Did you hear what I just said? God is using us in spite of our broken character, in spite of our brokenness. God is using us. If you are feeling the weight of your own brokenness today, uh, don't be discouraged. In Jesus Christ, the God of wonders is already at work restoring creation to the way God wants it to be. The psalmist knew about this God of wonders and believed that this God of wonders was the creator of the universe, and he wasn't. The psalmist was moved in the light of God's glory revealed in the heavens and the earth to do two things. He was moved to worship, and he was moved to be a steward of God's good creation. And the Psalm 8 is asking you and I today to do the same. So the next time you witness God in creation, as you glance at the night sky, or you, the, you witness the birth of your child or your grandchild, or perhaps some of you, your great-grandchild, give praise to God for the grandeur and the intricacy of God's creation. And in the midst of our worship, remember that we have been given the responsibility for this good creation. And as a result, we, you and I, we have this rare opportunity to preserve what God has created so that, so that generations that follow us may witness this creation and, and do what? Be moved to praise God just like generations have done before them. If you're watching this uh, service from your house today, and as you know, I like to provide you with a question or two to think about, I'm gonna give you three questions to discuss with the people in, in your uh, room with you, or you can reflect on them alone while you're having a cup of coffee at the end of this service. You can do whatever you want, but here they are. Describe a time when you've been moved by the beauty of creation. What did that feel like? Can you, can you conjure up that, that sense that you had when, you, when your breath was taken away, when you witnessed creation? Number two, how do you carry out your divine role of stewardship over the creation that God has placed in your care? And instead of speaking in generalities, speak specifically. What, what are you doing to, to be a responsible steward with the creation that God has given you? And then the third question is this. How does your understanding of God's place in God's creation, excuse me, your place in God's creation contribute to your experience of worship?